You always pray that um, as you're preparing and stuff that the Holy Spirit would move. And then he hits you. (laughs) Let's just have a prayer. Lord, this morning we're thankful for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've called us into your kingdom, not as something that will be, that we get to enjoy in eternity, which we do. but something that we get to be a part of today. And Lord, as we reflect on what's happening in heaven right now that we're told about in Revelation, all day, every day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So, Lord, we pray this morning that our worship would be honoring to you. That this morning our worship here would be, would join in that chorus. And, Lord, that our lives would be a reflection of that through this week. Lord, we thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Doc. So Aaron asked uh, about the scripture that I was going to look at, and I gave him gave him my list, and he looked at me and he goes, "You're ambitious." <laughs> I said, "Well, we'll see." Carrie said, "Keep it short." So I did get my notes down to about a page and. I don't know, is that two paragraphs or something? So, Just reflecting on the last few weeks about what's the, what's the purpose or the, how do we measure our faith? And the term being saved, we kind of, I don't know if we've really done that justice overall as I've kind of looked and reflected this past week or two. Second Corinthians, Paul, in 13, Paul writes back. It's kind of his last report here on this letter. But he says, Examine yourselves to see whether you're living in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, not, do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test, that should perk our ears up a little bit, I would think. I hope you will find out that we have not failed, but we pray to God that you may not do anything wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right. Though we may seem to have failed, 
For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we we rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. This is what we pray for, that you may become perfect. So I write these things while I am away from you, so that when I come, I may not have to be severe in using the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. So we read that passage and then we think, well, what do we have to be? We have to be perfect. We have to not do anything wrong. And we have to pass the test to prove that we're authentic in our faith. So, have a great week. Good luck, right? Paul writes at the end there and he says, I pray that you can measure up, that you can pass the test. Because when I come to you, I want to be able to be encouraging. And I want to build you up. And I want to tell you how good you've done. So how do we measure our faith? I was listening... um, Told, I was communicating back and forth with, with somebody, and I won't say his name, but I told Brad that um, I would probably plagiarize a lot of what he said this morning, and then also I was listening to Dallas Willard, not to be confused with Keith Willard. And I got about halfway through Dallas Willard's, one of his sermons, and it was about two hours, and I had about two and a half pages of notes and I thought, this isn't going to work. But I hope this morning that when we leave, we're encouraged. That we're not perfect, but we serve a God who's perfect. We're going to fail the test, but we serve a God that took the test for us. Dallas Willard, one of his opening thoughts, he said, everyone has spiritual formation in their life, but that doesn't mean that they follow Christ. So we're all on this spiritual journey somewhere. Everybody. Because we're all more than just flesh and blood, right? Even those that don't know Christ are more than flesh and blood, so they're on this spiritual journey as well. So we have to look at ourselves and say, ask us where we're at. When we read Corinthians, that passage, we assume that our outward behavior, that's the test. And as Christians, as a church, we've become very good at changing or trying to change people's outward behavior. And we do it ourselves. We think, well, I've come to church every, every week this month. This year, I've only missed a couple days, and I was just about dead. But then we leave this place, <clears throat> and what, are our, what do our lives reflect? And what is our message to the world around us? Is our message, well, as long as you change your outward behavior and do these things, you'll be fine. 
And what do we really focus in on other people's lives? Convinced and more and more uh, as we get, there's something happening on Tuesday this week. Not sure if you guys are aware of that. But we have become consumed with being right. And we point at the world that posts things on social media and do all these things. And you say, well, I mean, I'm not doing that. And then we put our three cents in there. I'd say two cents, but I think it's a lot more than that. And we are so consumed with being right that we miss the message of Christ completely. And we say, well, it's truth. It's truth at all costs. And if truth offends you, well, that's too bad. That's your problem. And in the process, we steamroll over people. We spend so much time telling people how right we are that we miss the point of loving them. Dallas Willard uses a, a term. He says, we've become vampire Christians. And I thought that was fairly fitting, being as Halloween was yesterday. Taking just enough blood from Christ, just enough of Jesus' blood that we secure our salvation. But we forget about discipleship. And we even take that further and we want to save people, right? That's our objective. We're evangelists. We want to save them. So we get people right up to the point and then they accept Christ as their Savior at a prayer and then we leave them at the altar. And then when they stumble and fall, we say, well, yeah, we didn't really think that they maybe were totally there. Or we say, well, yeah, they came from a rough background. And we think our, we feel good about ourselves because, well, we brought them to Christ. We saved them. I'm going to jump around a little bit here. and um, Don't worry about trying to follow along because I can't find my... I have them all numbered here, but I'm having a hard time finding it. Colossians 3. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17 just listen it says so if you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind on things above not on things that are on earth For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. But when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. 
Put to death, therefore, whatever is, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And I would add in there, being right at all costs. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. And this one I think that we've maybe missed the boat a little bit. Abusive language from your mouth. And we use that abusive language from our mouths in the, in the message of love and wisdom and truth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being, being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there's no longer Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is in all. Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We kind of rip apart the Pharisees quite a bit. You think, oh, those guys had it. Boy, they haven't messed up. <clears throat> we were talking in our small group this week about them, and and we say, yeah, we beat up the Pharisees a lot, but we always we if we saw them today, we'd probably think, boy, if I could have them as neighbors, they should be good neighbors. I think we fall into that trap of. The Pharisees, quite often, we have to be right. Well, if they only knew that what they were doing was so wrong. Biggest thing the Pharisees got messed up is they missed loving people. And I would challenge us this morning that it's an easy trap to fall into. Talks about love there. Being of one body. 1 Corinthians 13. We always talk about our gifting. All those things that God's gifted us with. But at times we use that gifting and we damage people. Some people have an extreme gift of 
seeing truth, pulling truth out of the word. Some people have an extreme gift to interpret and to pray. How are we using those gifts? That was the message to the Corinthians after he just went through talking about spiritual gifts. These are all the spiritual gifts and all the things that God has blessed you with. But he talks about in 13, if I speak in tongues of mortals and of angels, but I do not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And here's the one that we love to do. If I give away all my possessions, look what I did. And if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I've gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envy or boastful or arrogant or rude. Does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, put an end to childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. But these three, and the greatest of these is love. Is that a reflection of our lives? Do we, do we reflect love? <clears throat> Jumping over to Second Peter here. <clears throat> and I, I don't jump around just for the sake of making Aaron flip back and forth, even though he can't use his hand. I flip around to get the message. Sometimes we miss the narrative of the Gospels because we handpick these small portions of Scripture. Second Peter 1, verse 3. And this talks about what's the process look like? How do we do this? His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Before I go there, one of the, one of the quotes that uh, Dallas used, he said, don't mistake the ends for the means. We get so focused on the end result. How do we look on the outward appearance that we forget about the journey of our faith? 
And so we we skip the journey, we skip the means by which we should be refined and we jump right to the end result and say, well, as long as we look this way, then we have genuine faith. But notice in these, and we're going to look at Second Peter, then we're going to jump to Colossians. Nowhere does he talk about changing our outward appearance. It's all our knowledge of Christ growing, becoming yoked with Christ. So verse 4, thus he, was, he has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from corruption that is in the world because of lust and our desire to be right and may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with endurance and endurance with godliness and godliness with mutual affection and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is nearsighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. So we talk about salvation, and we think that's the end goal. And by all means, salvation, eternity without God, it's a big deal. It's important. But it's not the end. Colossians here, we'll we'll spend a little time here. find it. So Colossians 1, starting in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard, heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So notice he didn't pray that He didn't pray for the end result. He prayed for a knowledge of God, a presence in our lives. So that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. As you bear fruit in every good work, and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. May you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
Do you sense the continuing power there? Not something that we get salvation and now we just got to run the clock out on the rest of our mere existence here on in this earth and hopefully it doesn't get too bad. It's ongoing. As we're moving, we're bearing fruit in our good works. Our good works aren't the 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 end of what we or they aren't the means by which we obtain joy. Our works are the end result of the joy that we have because Christ is in us now. We become so focused on the, the good works and well as long as I'm doing those good works that we're doing them and in the back of our mind, well I just gotta get this done here so I can get my good works done this month. And then what's worse is we hold our brothers and sisters in Christ to that same standard. And then they struggle and then we feel really good about ourselves because, well, you know, I showed up to help at this project, but Mike wasn't there. And in the process, we beat each other down. Verse 24 Yeah. (laughs) He says, I'm now rejoicing in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I'm completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Do we suffer for the church? Do we suffer for each other? I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and the generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and I struggle with all the energy and that powerfully inspires within me. That he powerfully inspires within me. In chapter 2, 6 through 15. I challenge us that to see ourselves here. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through the philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a spiritual circumcision, by putting off the bodily body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him 
through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal docu- uh, demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and made a public spectacle, a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. I see ourselves in that. It's such a small portion of the total scripture that we have. But I would challenge you, think of your conversations this week. You can think about the ones you had last week, but you can't change those, so let's try and focus forward. How many of those conversations were abounding in thanksgiving? Are rooted and built in Him and established in faith? How many of them made you and the person that you're talking to alive together with Him? Or, how many of them took you captive through philosophy and arguments? And being right. How many of them were rooted in the issues of the world that we see today? How many of them were rooted in the commercials that we get to watch about every time there's a commercial that has to deal with Tuesday? How many of them left us empty and left the person that we were talking to empty? How many of them were really, if we really got down to it, rooted in bodily flesh? And our own spiritual pride of what we know to be true on this book. I would challenge you this week to carry the message of hope. To remember that we're on a spiritual journey that didn't end when we received salvation. That we are maturing. Dallas breaks it down into three, kind of three different ways that we can take it. We take our faith and we say, well, salvation is necessary, but sanctification or that process of growing with Christ, being rooted in him, is optional. So we've received salvation. Now we can kind of do what we want. The result of that is we we end up running over people because our lives are about us. Our lives become about building ourselves up. And the worst part in the tragedy and the Pharisees fell into the same thing is we use this book and the things that we believe to be true 
to do it. Number two, we say salvation is necessary and sanctification proves true through obedience. And as conservative Christians, we love this one because it gives us a checklist. I have salvation and sanctification or that growing happens as we are obedient. And I would argue that sometimes that happens. I think, and I, if I'm honest, there's times um, that I do things because I think that I have to. God would want me to do this. And on the other side of that, the Spirit uses that. But there's a danger in getting too camped out there because we become the Pharisees. We become so focused on our end result of action and what our perception is to the world outside that we become legalists. And the other danger there is we end up again running over people because we hold them to this standard of do this, do this, do this, don't do these things. And I would say most of the time we are more focused on the latter than the the first one. I can't believe they did that. And we talk about this nice message of you're forgiven, but then we really don't forgive people. We say we forgive people, but we still continue to hold them to that standard. So when they mess up and they fall on their face, which if you hang around me long enough, it's bound to happen. We, our pride wells up inside of us. It's a dangerous place. The third, he talks about salvation as the invitation into grace and a new life. That's expressed through community, which we are continually invited to join in the Father's plan and the Spirit's leading. When we challenge ourselves to stop looking at salvation as the end result of anything that we have to become or the goal that we have for anyone, not that salvation isn't important, but it's not the end result. The journey starts there. And now those passages that we've read, it's you sense this presence as we're going through life, as we're coming to know Christ better. Number one, we're effective because we're sharing life with people. We become extenders of grace because we understand grace as we walk through and we mess up. And we have a freedom there. I would challenge you to look for opportunities to serve people. But don't serve people just for the act of doing the work. Serve people with an objective of knowing Christ better. 
of increasing in the knowledge of him, of becoming more like Christ. So that as we do those things and as we continue to do them, we become better inside. And the overflow of that is we are more obedient. We're going to take communion and uh, I'll have the worship team come back up here. I'm going to do it a little bit differently this morning. Mostly just because I like to throw monkey wrenches and make people feel awkward, apparently. gonna sing sing a song come to the altar <clears throat> and I was haven't quite decided I think we could pull it off this morning I think sometimes we come to the table and we read passage there's passages that talk about Examine yourself and make sure you don't have any sin. And so we say a quick prayer before we think, Lord, forgive me of stuff that I don't know that I've done. And I think the danger is that we become so self-focused that we forget about those things that we've done. That maybe have hurt us a little bit, but more so have made somebody else stumble and fall. So as we sing here, just think about that. Um, number one, exactly, we have to examine ourselves, but examine our lives. How are we measuring our faith? Are we measuring our faith by how much scripture we know? Or we are, are we measuring our faith of, with how much scripture do we know, but how much scripture are we putting into practice? Let's stand this morning.